I want to go into uh, Psalm 18, verse 28. Psalm 18, verse 28. And, and my message is aimed at stirring your hearts toward an awareness of what God has planted on the inside of you uh, in order that it'll get out. The Bible says we're to show forth the excellencies of him who call us out of darkness and to this marvelous light. And uh, I want to say that the gospel is a marvelous light. In Psalm 18, 28, it says, You will light my lamp. The uh, King James says, You will light my candle. The Lord my God illumines my darkness. Thou wilt light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. And uh, man, I believe the Lord's about ready to light some some hearts on fire. And the devil might have tried to obscure things, bog you down, depress you. And you know, our first house, we had a, a gas furnace. and No, actually, it was our parents' house. Had a gas furnace. Because I, Dad told me to go and check the pilot light. And uh, maybe I was 17 years old, and I went down there, and I had really thick eyebrows back then which are flammable, so I found out. Because when the pilot light was blown out, you know, <laughs> I had to get, you know, I, I lit it and put the match in there, you know, and it went. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be flicking some matches your way to try to relight some pilot lights. Uh, and I believe that it's not just going to be smoke, it's going to be, it's going to be bright light. You know, fire cre creates warmth and light. And our God is a consuming fire. And uh, the Lord actually has designed us to be on fire. And um, there's a, a quote that I really like. And this is my goal for St. Louis Family Church. My goal as a personal, in my personal faith and it's actually written by a guy named Clarence Jordan, who was, uh, he held two uh, graduate degrees, one in agriculture and one in theology. He translated the New Testament, and he called it the Cotton Patch Gospel. He also, during the Civil Rights Movement, had an interracial farm called Koinonia Farm down south. And Clarence Jordan said about the church, he said, it is difficult to be indifferent to a wide-awake Christian to a real live person of God. It is even more difficult to be indifferent to a whole body of Christians like this. You can hate them or you can love them, but one thing is certain, you can't ignore them. There is something about them that won't let you. It isn't so much what they say or what they do. The thing that seems to haunt you is what they are. You can't put them out of your mind any more than you can shake off your shadow. They confront you with an entirely different way of life, a new way of thinking, a changed set of values, a higher standard of living. In short, they face you with the kingdom of God. There is no washing of the hands. These people must be crowned or crucified, for they are either mighty right or mighty wrong. And I, I really like that. I, I like what he said about that. In fact, he would have rednecks get mad at him, and he had a lot of people misunderstand him. Uh, but he, uh, 
He brought light in a, in a difficult, dark time in U.S. history. There was a, a Civil War chaplain named E.M. Bounds, and though he was a Confederate uh, chaplain and served some time in prison for it, you know, it was uh, during a time of difficulty in the country, he made this statement. He said, The dampening of the flame of holy desire is destructive to the vital aggressive forces in church life. God expects to be represented by a fiery church, or he is not in any proven sense represented at all. God himself is all fire, and his church, if it is to be like him, must also be as white heat. Man, I'll tell you, the Lord knows how to take our apathy and turn it on its ear. He knows how to address our lukewarmness and by his grace keep us moving forward so that we will be on fire. Look at somebody next to you and say, I'm on fire. Well, I want to just remind you of a few things in the scriptures before I go into my points. Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light. What happened? And there was light. I dedicated a baby last weekend and the, uh, the young couple whose baby I dedicated, they, they heard I was intrigued by that postage stamp that said, in the beginning, God. It was released in 1969 to commemorate the moon landings. And it wasn't part of the flight plan, but the astronauts all took turns reading from Genesis chapter 1. And I thought that was, that was wonderful. And it touched my heart, and it still does touch my heart, that they would acknowledge the word of God while they were out there in that big adventure going out in the space program. God said, let there be light. You know what happened? There was light. What God says goes. I like Genesis 1.16. It said, and God made two lights, greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. I heard a very intelligent, but yet very antagonistic physicist recently say, see there, that's just another example of inconsistency. That's not scientific. That's false. And that just shows the Bible's all false. Because everybody knows that the sun, though it is a light, the moon is not a light. And I heard people argue this, and it was a very intelligent person. And I started to think, but wait a minute. When I, when I go diving at night for lobsters, I could turn my flashlight off in the water, and I could see the bottom of the ocean from the moon light. And so, yeah, the, the moon doesn't radiate light like the sun does. Okay, but... That doesn't negate the fact that the moon is a light. And by the way, I want to say this. I was on the phone with Paul Clark, the musician, great Christian musician who's been here many times, led worship here. He wrote a song, and in the lyrics it said, just like the moon, I want to reflect your glory. And that's what I think Clarence Jordan was talking about. And I love the context. He's, he's talking in the South during racism, during segregation, during real hostile years, 50s and 60s. And he's talking about the church needs to be the real deal. And then, you know, in the 1860s, the, the, the chaplain E.M. Bounds is basically saying, we need to be white hot. And I like the, the idea of what Paul Clark wrote, and I told him over the phone, I said, man, I just want to thank you for writing this song. And I was going all emo. But I told, I told Paul, I said, Paul, I'm so thankful for this song. And he went, cool, bro. You know, and he wanted to tell me about a guitar he bought or something. It's funny when you have a revelation and somebody else does it, and you're like, <laughs> and they go, awesome. So 
God said he's going to make a greater light to rule the day and a lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also, by the way, and uh, set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, to give light upon the earth. God is light, as I read in 1 John, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, I want to go right into my points. Point number one, I want to just tell you that God is light, Jesus is light, and uh, he's the light of the world. Now that's in John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Everybody say, Jesus is the light of the world. I'm going to read something to you. And John chapter 1 is very similar to, to Genesis chapter 1. And again, I'm preaching this to stir you up by way of reminder of who God is and who you are in him and what he's put in you. And if the pilot light has been blown out, I'm flicking matches at it till it catches on fire. And I don't mind if you scorch my eyebrows. I'll grow them back. I'd rather have my eyebrows get scorched than uh, you stay cold. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being, period. In him was life. Oh, I love this. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And I love this, and this puts us in a framework of God's using human beings. Therefore, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. That is a fascinating scripture. And that's really why I'm preaching tonight. To stir you up, make you aware that your nail tech needs you. Your neighbor needs you. I just told my neighbor, I said, you know, I'm praying for you. He goes, man, I'm, I've got people praying for me. I don't even believe, but I've got people praying for me. I said, better watch out. You know, it's, and in love, you know, I'm not obnoxious. I'm not some bashing them over the head religious guy, but nor am I going to be passive about it either. Because I believe that people can believe through our obedience and our witness. Can I hear an amen? I'm a product of that. That's why I'm preaching this, because... You know, I've been in, I was in contact with some wide-awake believers, and they were either mighty right or mighty wrong. When I visited a church like this, it was a culture shock to me, yet I felt something, a layer of things that, were, that affected my indifference and my resistance. And it was like, it was one or the other. It was either these people are mighty right or mighty wrong, but I can't dismiss it. It's, I've got to deal with it. And it was in an era of cults in California so I had to wade through the minefield of cults, but I found, and by the grace of God, he revealed the biblical Jesus to me, the, the, the orthodox, straightforward faith. Thank God for it. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And uh, it says he was not the light, verse 8, but he came to testify about the light. Verse 9, there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, or man, but of God. And I like, I'll finish with verse 14. 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. The glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. That's good stuff. Look at John 9, 5. And it also says the same thing as John 8, 12. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light. Jesus says, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And that leads me to the next point, number two. He even has the amazing statement, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Now this is somewhat outlandish. That on one hand, we would acknowledge Jesus as the light of the world. And he said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But then he says, you're the light of the world. And one verse in 1 John, we're quoting the Gospel of John, but the Epistle of John, he says, as he is, so are we in this world. Everybody say to the person next to you, you're the light of the world. Now, that sounds like a contradiction because it says John was not the light, but he came to bear witness of the light. But John was before the new birth. John was before this unique change where God, who was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, would actually cause a, a shift in humanity where he would jump on the inside of each one of us. And the Bible says our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in Colossians chapter 1, it says he transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. Of course, Jesus is light, so we're in the kingdom of light. God is light. Walk in the light, it says in 1 John chapter 1. And then it says that he commanded light would shine out of darkness in order that he would reveal Jesus through us. So this is why the devil's working so hard to blow out your pilot light, to tempt you and me to get off on the tangents and back off of the category one most important issue of our lives, and that's bearing light, carrying light, and walking in the light, and loving people into the kingdom of God. Now let's go to Matthew chapter five, and I wanna read this in the context so you can understand where I'm coming from with this. Matthew chapter five, We'll start with verse 13. It's talking about the disciples in the world, and it says, You are the salt of the earth. If the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So the world's actually looking for something that has some, is savory and has, has flavor. God never called us to just bland, mediocre. He wants us to have a little zing to us. It says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. The world needs light. I like light. I like some light on the subject. Now this is the judgment that men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. And I, on the other hand, in my life, like Adam and Eve and like everybody else, you want to run away from the light when you're up to no good. When Adam and Eve fell, that was what happened. They were walking in full-on, unfiltered, beautiful, face-on fellowship with God. It wasn't virtual reality. It was reality. They were having fellowship with God. And then the first collateral damage incident was they were hiding. They were sowing fig leaves, and they were covering up. 
And I don't have time to turn to it, but I'm actually teaching about Gideon in Judges 6, 7, and 8. The amazing parallel of what he's, when he wanted to, God wanted to bring healing to the nation after seven years of oppression. Israel cried out to the Lord and they were getting free from fear. God walked Gideon through a process because he was so seized and he was actually living in a cave. They lived in caves and dens. That's what you do when you get in a weird and a freaked out state. We pull back, we withdraw. That's why we need to learn that God's soul has no pleasure with those who shrink back, but yet that is the human tendency. All we like sheep have gone astray. And, uh, but the Lord, just he bore all of our sins so we could have a breakthrough and we could keep it real. And we, could, and we could actually step out of our shells and not live in our, I mean, you know, they talk about man caves and dens and stuff like that. And uh, they were living in caves and, and Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press and God was calling him out. I'm speaking to the reluctant warriors whose pilot lights have kind of blown out. I'm speaking to people who have sewn fig leaves together and are feeling like hiding and and, and, you know, and I know some people are making you nervous right now because the last time you tried to be vulnerable and authentic, you got hurt. And yet, we are called to step out of the shadows and be present in this hour. And, and I think it's interesting that the Lord told Gideon, get pitchers and torches and trumpets and um, put the pitchers over the torches but then at the right time, blow the trumpets and break the pitchers, and the light will flash. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is breaking the clay encasements and breaking it through in order that light will shine. And, and the, the clay, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Everybody say clay pots. Everybody say pitchers. Now, I like it that they're pitchers. What do you do with a pitcher? You pour. And God wants to pour you on through the remainder of your life. And I think that's what happened with the 300 when they broke the pitchers. And the light busted out. I think... I think breaking the pitchers, to me, it's, it's literal. It did happen. It was a, it was a way to flash light, and, and it caused the enemy to be confused. And they turned their swords against each other in that moment, and it, they, they self-eliminated. So a lot of the best things that happen aren't the result of our legislating, mandating, trying to get in and do some sort of overt influence. The main thing is just keeping the main thing the main thing and fellowshipping with God and becoming a supermoon, just like the moon, I want to reflect his glory. I don't want anything to, to, to hinder it. I think about that amazing, famous verse, 1 Corinthians 3, where it says about building your life on the foundation, but building it on with three and three different types of ingredients. Wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stone. Gold, silver, and precious stone they all are reflective. Wood, hay, and stubble are all absorbent. They're not, they don't reflect. So I think God's called us to build on this message right here. Bust the pots, bust the pitchers, lay aside our flesh, 
lay aside our masks, lay aside our pettiness, and lay aside our barriers. This is no easy thing. The Christian life, you, it gets real around here. It's getting real. This is stepping on my toes because God does not want any, doesn't want any filters of it. You know, we, we guard ourselves. We get protected. We get protective. You can even catch yourself playing a character just because you're, you know, you're, it's, part of, it's part of sometimes the human nature. Like uh, God even said, where are you? Adam, where are you? Well, God knows everything. But he posed that to Adam so Adam would go, where am I? And Elijah, how'd you get here? Well, God knew how he got there, but he wanted Elijah to go, wait, how did I get here? You know, I think the big victory is we ask the right questions. And, but number three, number three, I've already moved on to the next part here. Don't hide your light. Don't hide your light. It says in verse 15 of Matthew, Matthew chapter five, it says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it in a, under a basket, but on a lampstand. Light a lamp and then put it under a basket. And yet that's what God, he get torches and put them under pitchers, but then break them so they bust out. See, that's where I think revival is, what re, an aspect of revival would be, personal revival. Keeping it real, keeping it fresh. In fact, I believe the Holy Spirit is doing that right now in many of our hearts. He's peeling the layers away, peeling the, the apprehension and the, the insecurity, the painful anxieties of those things in order that we could be more authentic and more real for the upcoming days with ourselves and with one another, with the world especially. Because then it says um, the harmony of the Gospels in verse 15, Mark 4.21 and Luke 8.16. There's some great verses here. The way it says it in Mark 4.21, it says... And he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? He asked the question. Look at the next part. Or under a bed. Now that's different than the Matthew point. It didn't say under a bed. It, it, not only under a basket, but then under a bed where you're just trying to be numb and then sleep it off. And then those of us who know what depression is all about, you just sometimes want to sleep just to avoid and, and yeah, that's, that's where you're, you put it, your light in a basket and then you put it under your bed. So see, maybe some of your pilot lights have been blown out. I believe God's firing them back up. Some of you are doing great right now and you don't even need this. So just factor it in in case you do ever later. Or that it'll make you sensitive, make you sensitive to some of the situations and positions some of your brothers and sisters are in right now. Because in the case of Judges 6, the reason Israel was laid low and was because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. But the prophet that was sent to them said, have I not brought you out of Egypt, brought you up out of bondage, and given you the land? And he, and he said, but you've done evil. You've feared the Amorites, the gods of the Amorites. They got in fear. That was the main rebuke, the only rebuke from that prophet. God's not given us a spirit of fear, Paul told Timothy, but power, love, and a sound mind. Say that, power, love, and a sound mind. See, that's, see, that's turning up the dimmer switch now. I like to turn up the dimmer switches and break them off so you can't dim them anymore. Don't, don't hide out. Oh, oh, oh let, let's see what the other one says. It says in Luke 8, 16, it says, now no one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container, 
And yet that's what the Lord told the 300 with Gideon. Get a light, get a torch, cover it with a pitcher, but then blow a trumpet and break the pitcher. I feel like I'm blowing the trumpet in order that you can break the pitcher so that the light can shine, not just a quick flash, but a radiant, it provides light and heat and impacts our generation. And God, God is doing this right now in you. Some of you, it's taken some painful years of overcoming. Some of you are in a, we're all in a stage of process. The Bible says we all look through a glass darkly, but then eventually face to face. So right now we're grappling with this, but you're the light of the world. And then it says, don't put your light in a, in a bushel basket. Don't put it under a bed. Don't cover it with a container. Cover it over with a container. I've done this so much. It's, I think, a human tendency. It's inherent in the human condition. Just to kind of, I'm really happy to see you. It's like, I really am happy to see you. Break forth into joy on my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with thee. We've got to tell ourselves, hey, souls, break forth into joy. Oh, Philippians 2.15, it says, it says in 14, it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Boy, that'd be amazing if that caught on today, right? Because fault finding has been exalted to virtue status, whining. They're like people with PhDs in whining. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. As I'm pointing the finger at three others, they're pointing back at me. So that you, this is Philippians 2.15, that was 14. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom, look at this, you appear as lights in the world. Say this with me, you're the light of the world. Look back at somebody else and say, don't hide your light. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. So turn to somebody and say, you're the light of the world. Say, Jesus is the light of the world. Don't hide your light. And this goes along with it, and I'm about to finish. Verse, my, my fourth point, let your light shine. Number four, let your light shine. And uh, in fact, it says this. Go back to Matthew chapter 5, if you're flipping around in the Bible. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Boy, sometimes you spend a long period of time hiding. Gideon was hiding for seven years. Seven years. And yet the Lord's mercy brought him out. He said, hey, I want to I do some things through you. In fact, he's calling you out right now to some things you, think you can't even imagine. Arrangements of connections that you have not even conceived of in your mind. People that need your gifts, your particular way of expression, your position in life. Come on. I'm preaching now. You're not going to get this from just about anywhere else, but you're going to get it from me because it's my turn right now. You're not going to get this from the accuser of the brethren. And I'm not trying to give you some artificial hype and bunch of platitudes because you don't need those. You need the substance of the word. That's why I've just shared a ton of scripture with you because the entrance of his word gives light, gives understanding to the simple. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Wow. It says in verse 16, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light so shine before men. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works 
Look at the next verse. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. Bottom line, I want to honor God. I want to help people. And the way we honor God and the way we help people is by understanding Jesus is the light of the world, being willing to accept the fact that he commands light to shine out of darkness in order that he's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And I'm telling you, it's a mystery too that one scripture says that we're actually called to adorn the gospel. And for whatever reason, God has designed us to be co-laborers and joint heirs with him. He's chosen our inheritance for us. And he said, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white to harvest. The harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will thrust forth laborers. So I quoted Clarence Jordan from the 1950s and early 60s who talked about a white-hot church. I quoted E.M. Bounds from the 1860s who talked about a white-hot church. Watchman Nee, the Chinese Christian who was in prison for many years for his faith, he said this. He said, if Christians operate in regular temperature, the world will think you broke out in a fever. And in fact, I think that by your good works, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men and that you let your light so shine before men in such a way, such an unfiltered way, such a genuine way, such a Jesus-glorifying way, such a humble way, such a subservient way, such a faith-filled way, such a doubtless way, such a fervent way, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. So we don't put our light in a bushel basket and put it under a bed. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And you know, I'll just close with this. Let your light shine. Just let it shine. Every day, get up and say, Lord, here am I, send me. Isaiah 6, verse 8. Every day, get up and say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, like David said. Psalm 27, verse 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense and strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Who shall I, who shall I dread? Say this with me. The Lord is my light, Lord is my light. and my salvation. my salvation. So, my last point on self-pity is ugly. Gratitude is beautifying. So it takes, when you're, when you're the redeemed of the Lord, it takes extra effort to be ugly. But praise is comely or beautifying to the upright. Psalm 33.1 says, Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. A lot of people, you know, they want to make their skins look, skin look nice and get chemical peels and lifts and all that stuff. He's the glory and the lifter of my head. When you and I and we get up in his light, and I just want the world to be able to respond to what the Lord's done. There's light in you. You're called to bear light. You say, well, how do I do it? Where, what, what's my platform? I, how do I? Honestly, that's where you've got to connect with the Holy Spirit and believe that these things are true. And, you know, like Acts chapter 17, the Bereans were no, more noble-minded than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. So I've endeavored to bring the word of God to you the way the Lord prompted me and showed me to share. Search the scriptures and see if these things are so. If something if got your ire, like, wait a minute, I know Jesus is the light of the world, but we're a bunch of lost sinners. Okay, well then why did Jesus say you're the light of the world? Well, that was just for the apostles of the Lamb. They're going to write the Bible and say, well, okay, keep studying that because I don't think that's a correct interpretation. 
I think the Lord is saying to all the disciples cascading throughout the ages that I've lit your life, and in fact, I've called light to shine out of darkness, and that you're actually carriers of the presence of God, and that you're called to show forth his praises. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, in order that you would show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is marvelous light. And for the short time we have on this planet, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The world needs Jesus right now. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there is no other. Jesus is the way. Thank you, Jesus. Let's lift up our hands. Let's yield. God, I ask that you'd help us and pray that we wouldn't be a light under a basket and under a bed, numb and sleepy, full of avoidance. I pray you'd help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to get on fire. Help us, Lord, to see great results. Help us not to hide in caves and dens. Help us, Lord, to press into your fullness. Say, help me, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.